Ronaldo vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo, Ronaldo vai partir, paradinha, atirou, golo! Já está! Já está! Já está! Hello and welcome to the latest Portugal podcast. Today we're going to be focusing entirely on the Seleção. My name is Tom Kundert and who better to talk about the fortunes of Portugal's national team than two of their biggest and most well-informed supporters. First of all, roving Portugal journalist Nathan Motz. Nathan, how are you my friend? I'm doing great Tom, thanks for having me. Okay, great to have you on as usual. And also on board, I'm delighted to welcome Simon de Souza. Now, if you are a Celestial fan and you are not following Simon on Twitter, something is very wrong. Simon is a prolific uh, tweeter. He writes about everything the Celestial, always posts a, a whole load of interesting pictures as well. I really recommend you follow him on Twitter if you can. Simon, is it all good in Canada? Oh yeah, it's uh, good here. Getting cold this time of year, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Okay, so let's crack straight on. Now, since our last Celestial podcast, there's been a lot of big, big changes. Uh, we'll come on to the new coach, Fernando Santos, in just a while. But first of all, I'd like to briefly discuss his predecessor, Paulo Bento. Uh, we won't really go over how it ended. We all know that brings back some pretty painful memories. Uh, not a very good World Cup, uh, to say the least. But of course, Bento's time at the head, as the head of the national team was not all bad, uh, far from it. Nathan, how would you sum up Bento's legacy as the Celestial coach? Uh, what do you think his main achievements were? And I suppose ultimately we have to say, what were his biggest faults? Well, I, I think most people would probably agree that... Um, you know, ben, Bento's best achievement was the the way that he turned around Euro 2012 qualifying, and then of course the tournament it, itself. I'll never forget that um, on my end, having personally been there, having interviewed players, having followed the team during the group stage. And uh, I think it's easy to forget after this World Cup when when we just were not the same team, had injuries, and had a lot of things go against us that. You know, during Euro 2012, we were really good. We had a really good team. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I really think we would have been uh, worthy champions um, had we uh, had we managed to get past Spain in the, in the penalty shootout. Um, and unfortunately, things didn't work out. But you, you, have to, you have to give Bento some credit there for bringing some stability to the squad and from taking Cristiano Ronaldo's career with the Silasau from being one that was in my opinion, fairly mediocre to that point and really opening him up to, to his full range of potential that he shows for his club. And I think that, um, you know, without him, I don't know if Ronaldo was able to do that as easily. So I think those are, those are his main achievements. But when we talk about his legacy, I think, unfortunately, his legacy is going to be defined by, by his stubbornness, uh, by his, his refusal to incorporate new players, by his refusal to admit mistakes, um, by his uh, inability to make amends with with uh, people he he defended, especially players who could have helped us in uh, the World Cup, and I, I think people are going to remember that probably more than they remember even the good times, and that's unfortunate. But that's just um, it's a consequence of the way 
just that things and the people are always going to remember the you know kind of the painful bitter you know memories of, of going to uh, the World Cup without Koresma and without having uh, you know other defensive options or the midfield options and keeping the same uh, formation that that was at that point you know two or three years old and had not been updated in any way. Um, so that that's what I think people are going to remember about Bento, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. That's a pretty good uh, summing up, I'd say. Of course, I agree with you. I think one of the one of my favourite matches I've ever attended uh, personally was the final match of qualification for Euro 2012, which was the second leg against Bosnia, and, uh, and when Portugal, of course, won that 6-2, an absolutely barnstorming performance. Absolutely fantastic. And you just uh, touched on it there, Nathan, the, the actual tournament itself. You were lucky enough to be in a stadium when uh, Portugal played Holland and, of course, Ronaldo gave that masterclass. And uh, those two matches I just mentioned really are uh, two, of the, you know, two of the standout matches probably from the last decade and a half, I would say. Definitely, uh, hopefully, Bento will be remembered for uh, not all bad reasons. OK, now... Bento is history, of course, and the new man at the helm is Fernando Santos. He's a vastly experienced coach who has managed all three of Portugal's major teams, uh, Porto, Benfica and Sporting, as well as some of Greece's top clubs, and of course the Greek national team, uh, who he led to Euro 2012 and also the World Cup in Brazil, on both occasions uh, qualifying the group past uh, uh, qualifying the team past the group stages getting into knock getting into the knockouts uh, so I think he's probably had most success at Porto and as Greece manager uh, Simon were you pleased with the choice of Santos and uh, do you think he's a good fit to take Portugal forward um, I think my quick knee-jerk reaction and probably the knee-jerk of everyone else was a lot of confusion to be honest um, there was obviously his eight match suspension which we literally just found out five minutes ago from the arbitration court of sport that he'll be allowed to be on the bench versus Denmark but there was a lot of confusion as to as to why we would select someone who's currently under suspension um, it's kind of unorthodox a little bit I know that's our next point um, I thought it was going to be Vitor Pereira. Um, I was lined up for that. But um, when you start to break down Fernando Santos, what he did with Greece and other teams previously, uh, I think it is a good choice. He definitely got the most out of that Greek team. He played them to their strengths. Uh, they were knocked out barely by Costa Rica in the World Cup on penalty kicks. That really could go any which way. So uh, he definitely has the experience and the knowledge. It's... And judging by his first round call-ups, it, it looks the squad kind of more refreshed. There's there's a better balance now of veterans and new faces. Um, surely there's going to be even more new faces just after the uh, U21 playoffs are finished. We'll probably pluck a few more players from that team. So, so it seems so far that uh, he's done a decent job shaking up the squad, refreshing the squad. Um, obviously, it was a not the greatest start versus France, but there is a lot of work to be done, but he's extremely knowledgeable, and if he can get them playing as a team and not being so dependent on just passing it to Ronaldo, and hopefully he'll figure it out then, I think he'll find some success. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting, of course, you touched on it at the at the beginning, the FIFA ban. 
uh, eight-match ban, which a lot of people said, you know, this is a bit of a crazy decision to hire a coach who won't be able to be in the dugout for uh, you know, the whole of the qualifying campaign, basically. Uh, like you just said, we've just heard that FIFA have, uh, not FIFA, sorry, the Court of Arbitration for Sport have lifted the ban, at least for the Denmark game. Uh, even so, we don't know if afterwards if the ban is going to be maintained or cut. So, uh, what do you, do you think, Simon, in your opinion, uh, presumably the ban, some part of it at least, will be maintained? How important do you think it is for the coach to be in the dugout during the games? Hmm. It's it's difficult to judge. I mean, in this day and age with technology, there you know might be possible ways of communication. There, uh, you know, in, in training, he'll he's obviously allowed to be at training and on the grounds for that. So that's where they'll do most of their work. Um, the federation is appointed a more than capable assistant in Elidio Valle. Uh, who I believe was actually running the trainings this week. Uh, Fernando Santos, I think, did a lot of observing. Uh, Elidio did a lot of the actual training the squad. So, so should it come that uh, Fernando Santos has to sit uh, some matches in uh, in the press box? Uh, I really, I really don't think they'll have too much effect. Um, obviously, he'll still be setting the lineups previously and getting his messages across in training, but uh, Elidio Valle is more than a capable coach who's, uh, who's done a good job with youth teams uh, in the Federation as well. So uh, it, it might hold up for a few matches. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't have much of an effect, but as I said, in this day and age with technology, if, if he really wanted to make some sort of change, he, he, he might be able to get in contact with the bench. I, I don't know how how these suspensions are really, how tightly and closely they're monitored by delegates, but yeah. at, at worst, Elidio Valle will, will be in charge on the bench and he's more than capable, so. Yeah, we were just, uh, Simon and I were just having a little chat before we started the pod, and of course we were remembering the, the famous case of Jose Mourinho when he first got uh, sent to the stands years and years ago in a Porto match, Porto against Lazio uh, UEFA Cup, first leg. And, of course, he famously uh, managed to get round that system with uh, one or two, shall we say, uh, maybe not quite uh, <laughs> legal means, uh, walkie-talkies <laughs> or whatever you uh, <laughs> want to call it. But uh, yeah, I think I agree with you. Uh, I think uh, most of the work will obviously be done on the training pitch. And uh, if Santos has to make a, a decision, I think there's probably ways that he can uh, make his thoughts known. Okay, now let's uh, have a look at the players themselves. Uh, and Santos, he certainly shook things up in his first squad selection. You could actually say it was a case of in with the old, in with the new. Uh, we'll move on to the younger players shortly. But first of all, uh, Nathan, in your opinion, did the coach do the right thing by recalling the likes of uh, Thiago, Ricardo Carvalho, Dani and Quaresma? All of these players, uh, their international careers seem to be pretty much over under Bento. Uh, was it a good decision? And uh, what can these players bring to the team? Well, we were kind of talking about this before the, the podcast began. Portugal are, are kind of right now in between these two generations of players. And on one hand, there's the Ronaldo, Nani, you know, João Moutinho and Contral. 
generation that's that's had some success at the international level, and then there's this gap between that and and you know where we're at with the under 21s, which we're going to talk about later, and how well that they're doing right now. And in between, um, there there really isn't a whole lot of talent to to fill that role. So when when I see the coach bring back in these older players like Tiago and Cavallo and uh, Danny and Cresma, I I think for me the concern there is that's just an indication that we don't have any experienced players to field currently. So right now we're we're in this rebuilding phase, which I think we um, and you saw you know in, in the friendly against France, we're not. Um, established yet. We don't have the uh, the different positions set the way that we would like, but I think the purpose of bringing back in players like Tiago and Ricardo Carvalho is to kind of bring back some some order um, and try to maybe hopefully prepare a, a smoother transition uh, for the younger guys that are coming into the squad like like uh, Cedric and Andre Gomez and, and others. And, and I would expect in the next few years to be seen uh, a lot of the under-21 players coming in as well. So to have some of these more experienced guys coming back, I think is important for, for integrating them into the squad. Um, one thing I will say is um, if if Santos is going to call back in players like, like, for instance, Danny, I would like to see him use uh, them in their right position. I've never liked Danny uh, as a winger, which is how he was played against France, and I, I still don't think that's where he's really going to um, bring his best contribution and um, – so that's unfortunate, but I mean, Quaresma still a talented player. I don't think he had a good game against France, but I still think that he can bring uh, something off the bench for us, possibly depending on the form of uh, Nani and Verinha and others. Ricardo Carvalho, I've always thought he was class. He's still playing well for for Monaco, and so I still think he can definitely be a good example for the younger players. And then Thiago is is. Currently, I think he's probably a better central midfield option than, than certainly, you know, Veloso or Morellas, who, you know, I think he kind of came in to replace. So, um, so ultimately, I like them being in the squad, but people just have to understand this is just a sign that we really don't have anyone to bridge the gap right now between the, the younger generation and the, you know, the Ronaldo's generation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point you make there, Nathan. And actually, uh, talking about the, you know, how the younger players can learn from the likes of uh, Ricardo Carvalho. And uh, that's actually one thing which uh, Cristiano Ronaldo said himself yesterday in his press conference. He said that, uh, you know, when, when he first went to the Celestial, of course, he was very young when he uh, first got picked in Euro 2004. He said it was very important for him, uh, you know, having these great players to look up to, players very experienced, and uh, he learned a lot from them. So, yeah, I agree. I think that's one of uh, one of the reasons that Santos also brought in these, uh, you know, very high-class uh, players who've really done it and seen it all before. Uh, Simon, uh, of course, Santos didn't just recall veterans. Uh, he didn't just give the squad a completely new feel by uh, by doing that. He also did choose quite a few young up-and-coming talents, such as uh, Cedric, uh, Nathan just mentioned there, uh, João Mario and uh, Ivo Pinto. They were drafted into the senior squad for the France game and the Denmark game tomorrow. And uh, it seems to be coming ever more apparent that Portugal have a vast pool of really fantastically exciting young players emerging. Uh, Simon, rather than focusing on those three names or the, the, the young players who are actually in the squad who I just mentioned, uh, I'd like to have your opinion on a slightly different subject. Uh, which players could and should, in your opinion, be integrated into the senior squad 
uh, right now or in the near future I'm, I'm thinking especially about the under 21 side because anyone who's been fo- uh, watching and following the Portugal under 21s for the last year or so uh, they, you know they can't fail to be excited about the future they really do look some uh, that that team is just packed with uh, fantastic talents right from from the striker uh, right down to the goalkeeper so in your opinion uh, Simon which of these players can uh, which of these players are the future yeah as uh, as Nathan basically just said and I've been saying on Twitter for a little while now, our our under-21 team is probably the best Salasal we have right now. Um, they're, they're, they're rounded out very well. Uh, as you said, down uh, to the four midfielders in the back line, it's, it's, they're, they're a complete team. Um, there's looking up and down the roster sheet right now, it, it's incredible that some of these players in, in midfield uh, who who play regularly for clubs or can't even get into the squad. Um, the best players on the team actually didn't even play against Netherlands in the playoff qualifier. I would say that's Bruma and Marcos Lopes. They're both uh, ruled out due to injury. Uh, Bruma, we have seen called up to the senior squad, but he's yet to get any minutes, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Marcos Lopes probably stands out as, uh, as the future star um, of this team. Uh, he's he's really got it all. He, he's uh, an attacking midfielder. I know he's played a little bit of striker, but I don't think he's going down that road of development to be a striker. Um, he definitely stands out as the most talented player in that team, though. As for the players who actually played in the playoff against Netherlands, I'd probably say Bernardo Silva was, was the best on the pitch for Portugal. He really did it all on the wing. Um, he gave the wingbacks for Netherlands uh, nightmares that they're probably still having <laughs> just last night. <laughs> uh, he played He played very well. I'm a little concerned, as Nathan said, bridging the gap between the two generations, uh, mainly at centre-back position. Pep and Bruno Alves still seems like are the s- options to be starting. It has to be said, though, Pep is an absolute monster and continues to be huge, outstanding versus France. If not for him, it probably would have been three or four nothing by half. Bruno Alves is, is getting uh, slowing down definitely a few steps now. And I was hoping a little bit better development out of Thiago Olori and Paulo Oliveira, but it's, it hasn't been, uh, they haven't been developing as quick as I was expecting or hoping. Ruben Vezo, I know he's at Valencia now. I haven't had a chance to watch him yet, but he's a name to to watch for a center back. But uh, the U21 team is it's loaded with talent, and and if they can get some time for whatever whatever club team that they're at, the, it's going to be a force definitely. Especially in midfield, there's there's players that can't even get time on this team like Toze, and he was outstanding for Porto B squad last year, and he barely gets any minutes for this U21 squad. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Uh, almost an embarrassment of, ri- of riches, especially like you say in midfield, uh, which of course is uh, is very good news for Portugal because that's one area where Portugal have really stagnated. Uh, they did stagnate, of course, under Bento because he chose, uh, of course, the three M's: uh, Meireles, Moutinho, and Miguel uh, Veloso were just Portugal's midfield basically for four years and. Uh, but now I think that's going to be well. That has changed already, and it's uh, it seems like we're going to have lots of options there. So uh, 
Nathan, uh, the new era for the Selassal got underway on Saturday at the Stade de France, Paris, where we saw, uh, unfortunately, the Selassal uh, fell to defeat, but uh, there were some pretty optimistic signs, I would say, from the match. Uh, in your opinion, Nathan, what conclusions do you think Fernando Santos would have drawn from the game, uh, especially taking into account the first really serious test tomorrow <coughs> against Denmark, which uh, even at this early stage, you have to say, is a, quite a crunch game. I'll try to keep it short. I, you know, there's lots of conclusions you could you could draw based on uh, based on our performance. There was good and bad. I think we we talked. I talked about that a little bit in the match report and some of the comments both on on Twitter and on the report were uh, kind of leaning in that direction. There were some positives and some negatives. Um, you know, I, I think the the key area that most people um, you know would, would like to think that Santos is is being made aware of is the fact that the defense needs to get sorted out. You know, championship teams are built from the back, and right now we're, we're kind of all over the place defensively. Um, with the exception of, uh, of Pepe, I think most people would agree we were pretty poor defensively against against France. Uh, again, they're, they're a more uh, settled team. We were playing in their home stadium, so there, there's, some, there's some things that were obviously against us. But, um, you know, but I think... Uh, Players like Bruno Alves and Elzeu and other others that are just not the quality that we're going to need to go forward, especially against Denmark, who traditionally has given us a lot of problems defensively. Um, you know, there's this cliche beginning to take shape whenever we play Denmark, and it seems like we we, we do that almost every year. Um, that we play them, uh, you know, Nicholas Bentner is going to score against us, and that that generally seems to happen. And honestly. Um, now, I think he is going to give us problems again because I don't think we have a settled back four. We need to fix that. Um, we need to fix that immediately, and then we can go forward and try to fix other areas of the field. Uh, the other thing that I'll say is uh, I've, I've never been a fan um, of, of Ronaldo at the number nine position, and I know a lot of people think that's a, that's a natural fit for him because he's such a great goal scorer. Uh, but I, I just disagree because it's not just his goal scoring ability that he brings to the team; it's his playmaking ability. And if we isolate him at the top of the formation, he can't he can't help us uh, further back up the field, bringing the ball forward and really exploiting um, you know his movement and just other attributes that he brings to the game. And I think we saw that against France, where he for long periods was isolated without the ball and. Good defenses are going to know how to take him out of the game if we just leave him all alone by himself up there. So, I do hope those are a couple areas that that Fernando Santos will will look at and, and hopefully, um, you know, make some adjustments that'll help us be more successful against uh, you know a very tough Denmark side. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're absolutely right, of course, to mention Bentner. Uh, I think Simon was just talking about those uh, poor old Holland under 21. Wing backs who must be having nightmares about Bernardo Silva. Uh, I'm still having nightmares about Bentner. He <laughs> he always seems to score against Portugal. Uh, I just just posted a, a preview with some help of uh, some Danish football journalists and experts. Uh, and of course, uh, it's quite interesting. One of them pointed out that Bentner is having a bit of a, a lean time in his career. He hasn't scored for club or country for one year. But uh, apparently he played quite well in the game on the weekend, uh, the 1-1 draw against Albania. 
So uh, let's see. Hopefully uh, he won't be seeing Portugal as another of his usual clients. Okay, now fellas, I think it's time where I invite us all to make fools of ourselves and we have to try and guess <laughs> uh, what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, so, Simon Nathan, as quickly as possible, can you give us a prediction about uh, what sort of lineup Santos may pick? Maybe, of course, uh, I don't think we've got time to, for all three of us to go through all 11 players. Uh, I think most people are interested in the forward line. Uh, how would you get round this uh, perennial problem that Portugal has of not having a real true solid number nine? Would you uh, try doing something uh, with maybe a more mobile front three? Nathan just mentioned there that, uh, and he's absolutely right, of course, uh, Ronaldo played as a central striker just doesn't really seem to get the best out of him. Uh, in your opinion, Simon, you go first. Uh, how would you set up the, the, the Portuguese attack? And uh, any other players which you think uh, deserve to come in, maybe, in comparison to the France game? Yeah, I understand where Nathan's coming from, saying the nine spot is not ideal ideal for Ronaldo, and it's not. But to be honest, it's probably ideal for the Celisau as a whole. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Eder has not lived up to any hype whatsoever. He he puts in some decent matches for Braga, but uh, to be honest, when he pulls on the Celisau shirt, it looks like he's playing with one leg. Sometimes I don't know what's up with him. So, unfortunately, I think our best option is probably going to have to be a false nine-type formation like we did reverse France uh, with Ronaldo, Danny, and Nanny all just running into open space and kind of uh, just hoping something opens up like that and sending Ronaldo through the middle the majority of the time. It's not ideal for Ronaldo, no, but it's probably the best option that we have for the Celisau. Uh, unfortunately, Eva, we just have not developed any striker, and Eder has not done anything for the Celisau yet. I mean, I know the whole squad in Brazil did not look good, but uh, Eder looked incredibly slow. So I think we'll see the same front three against Denmark. Uh, the midfield, I I know William Carvalho has had a little bit of a, a down year for Sporting. And I actually wasn't that surprised to see Fernando Santos start him on the bench. But when he came in, he actually looked uh, pretty good against France. So uh, I think he'll win himself a starting spot uh, to which Andre Gomes will sacrifice uh, his spot in the pitch. Uh, Thiago will go to central midfield. And Moutinho will probably start again, but he as well has had a down year, which is disappointing because we need a lot out of him, and we're not getting it right now. Uh, João Mario is looking absolutely incredible. He's he's definitely the best midfielder we probably have, and Sporting probably has, but I don't think I don't think he'll be getting the start for this big match. As for the back line, uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not settled, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see them concede one or two tomorrow against Denmark. Pep will obviously start, likely Bruno Alves again, but uh, our fullbacks, we we just got ripped on. Uh, LSU, I, I I don't know if I can watch any more of that, so hopefully Antunes, <laughs> Antunes who is who's pretty steady, who has always put in steady performances for the Celisau, and any time I watch him for a club, he's looked good, so I have absolutely no issues with him going in. 
Uh, Contral has to figure out this injury situation. If he's going to be injured every second game, it might be it might be better. You know, I know he links up very well with Ronaldo, but it might be better just to make plans around Antunes because if we're going to be having somebody injured every second game, we can't get any cohesion or flow. So the back line, the back line is definitely shaky. Hopefully Antunes gets input because, um, unfortunately, LSU just got ripped in half against France. I know they're one of Europe's top, top squad, but we need a lot better than what he gave us. So as for my match prediction... Uh, I want to say that we'll get a big win, but to be honest, with our shaky back line, I can see it. I can see a draw. Okay. We'll sc- we'll score, but they're going to score as well. I don't think we're settled back there, so we'll draw. But it's almost impossible to miss out on this tournament with with three with three teams per group basically uh, getting a chance for the tournament. I think we'll still fit into Euro 2016. Yep. Okay. Uh, nicely put. Uh, how about you, Nathan? Do you agree with all of that? Some of it? None of it? What do you think? Yeah, I, I say I have to agree with Simon. Uh, I think we will see uh, one or two changes, at least to the back four, uh, particularly uh, the full back positions. And, and uh, I think there's a chance that Cedric could hold his spot based on how he performed later in the game against France. But I don't, I don't see any real chance that I would say will will hold his position. I would expect to see Pepe. I expect to see Jean Moutinho and Nani, and uh, actually, I, I also agree with Simon about the, uh, the the front three. I think that's probably going to stay the same. And uh, in this current squad, I mean, obviously, there we we don't have a great option for number nine other than Ronaldo. So I think that's kind of why uh, Fernando Santos insists on putting Ronaldo there. And and for the time being, I think that's maybe the best we can do but the long term i do not think that's going to be a viable solution so i do hope at some point uh we can we can make you know adjustment to that formation uh as for my uh prediction well we we've always had exciting games against denmark and and i would expect this to be another one uh this this group's pretty wide open denmark drew with albania yesterday or, or the other day and uh, serbia uh, serbia drew with armenia uh, so the all the teams are are very close together after the first couple rounds of matches, and I think that um, we'll go into Copenhagen with at least a chance of winning. But but given our the state of our defense, uh, I, I think we come away with a draw. I think it's going to be something like one one or or two two or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, you took the starting with the score line you took uh, the words out of my mouth because that's what I was going for also I can see Portugal conceding of course based on what we saw in Paris but I can also see Portugal scoring and uh, I wouldn't be like you say the, the games against Denmark they're usually quite open uh, quite open encounters and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up something like 2-2 uh, as for the team uh, I hope that uh, Fernando Santos goes with uh, both Carvalho's because uh, I think Ricardo Carvalho and Pep, uh, in my opinion, is the stronger centre-back partnership. And uh, William Carvalho, I agree with Simon. I think Portugal looked a lot more solid in midfield when he came on. And I think a midfield of uh, Carvalho, Thiago, a little bit forward, and hopefully Moutinho uh, getting some, some kind of form back. I think that's got quite a lot of potential. Uh, I also agree with you about the left-back. Uh, I really can't, for the life of me, understand why Antunes is so underused, uh, first of all by Bento and, uh, and now by, uh, by Santos, because uh, any time he's played for Portugal, he's, I think he's done a fine job. 
and uh, you know he plays in the La Liga. He's one of Malaga's top players, and uh, he's played there for a lot of years now. Of course, one of the best leagues in the world. So I would certainly have no hesitation of uh, place, playing him at left back rather than Elizil. Okay, well I think time has beaten us again. Uh, it's been fantastic sharing uh, your thoughts, Simon and Nathan. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your expertise, Nathan. Uh, thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Okay, and Simon, great having you on as usual. Thanks a lot, Tom. I appreciate it. Happy to talk. Okay, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, don't forget, you can keep track on all things Celesal at www dot portugal dot net that's p-o-r-t-u-g-o-a-l dot net as well uh, and of course we be, we cover everything else to do with Portuguese football all the club news you'll find there and uh, all the European fixtures uh, just head over to that site and it's all there uh, I, I also urge you to follow Nathan and Simon on Twitter Simon can you just uh, give out your Twitter handle Absolutely, but I'll I'll give fair warning. You're going to be getting a lot of FC Porto news with it. So so if you're not Portista, you might have to uh, just follow every international break. Anyways, my handle's at FC Porto World. Thanks, Tom. Okay, no worries. And Nathan, you're... yeah, my handle is at Nathan Motes. N a t h a n m o t z. Okay, there you go. Uh, make sure you follow those. We'll speak again soon. Até logo e força Portugal. Portugal.